Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the fine folks at Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia, from which all of these panels were recorded at Metatopia 2017. It's also thanks to the generous contributions of the panel speakers. Now let's get to the show. Episode 173, Selling the Goods, Choosing Your Sales Channels. Presented by Jason Pitt, Jim Crocker, and Jason Walters. Shall we, shall we begin? Yes, certainly. Would you begin for us? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sunday at Metatopia 2017. Um, this is a panel on sales channels. What works for you, what works for your game, and how you can be the most successful with the options available to you. So my name is Jason Pitt from Genesis of Legend Publishing and the RPG Design Panelcast. You can find all of these recordings later. And I am a uh, role-playing game designer, publisher, uh, representing a retailer and running a convention booth, and I'm also the retail coordinator for the Indie Game Developer Network. So I've got a wide variety of different partially informed uh, perspectives on the issues. Next up. Uh, my name is Jason Walters. I'm general manager of Indie Press Revolution, uh, the small uh, press role-playing game distributor, and I'm also a publisher of role-playing games myself. I'm Jim Crocker. I'm a retailer. The name of my store is Modern Myths. It's been open about 15 years at this point. We are the vendor of record for a lot of these, for all of the double exposure shows. Um, uh, In the Northeast and New England, we represent Jason and sell all of those IPR titles that you see on our table out front there. And I've been retailing to one extent or another for about 25 years. Um, well, where should we begin? Do we want to we want to do maybe half an hour of talking about sales and then take questions? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. Uh, would you like to start? Certainly. So I'm going to take a look at this from the pure publisher perspective and give you a general outline of what the different kinds of options are, and you know, ballpark. What's the dollar figure you're looking at? Like the percentage you're looking at coming away with this from? Option one. You are selling your product directly, either through Kickstarter or through um, you know, a web store off your own website or something. This means you're theoretically getting probably, I want to say like 90% of your cover price. This is gold. This is your best option. You want to do this as much as humanly possible. Sweet. It, 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 yes. This, this is just paradise. Do not calibrate everything based on this. This is uh, that extra bonus that you get for get some of the time. This is not your baseline. Um, it is good to not treat everything lower than this as a sacrifice because it's not. This is just a extra benefit you get for doing a lot of the hard work yourself, directly selling and marketing and fulfilling your product. Um, Next down, sort of the value chain, is you can, 
work with another party such as, oh, okay, uh, you can sell at something like a convention directly. Um, buy into a convention booth, for instance. Uh, as an example, I went to Gen Con. Uh, my organization, the Indie Game Developer Network, has a booth. So I was able to put down 300 bucks for a booth share, and I was able to sell 1500 bucks worth of product. So I'm still getting that like 90-100% of the profits per sale, minus whatever the booth share is. So I'm probably realistically getting, I don't know, let's call that 75%. Sure. Varying. Did, did, you, did you get to Gen Con for free? Uh, other people were selling my things for me. I did not have to attend. Oh, oh, okay. So, That's so that was your package got it. deal. Okay, sorry, because you, you talked about going to cons. Uh, yes, yes. Um, that is an option in this case yeah. because we did it. Um, in other circumstances, I would have to be at the booth selling, selling things. And that changes the math because I should theoretically value my time. Next, down the value chain. Uh, like just the profit chain, I'd have to say is probably uh, I sell to IPR, then sells directly to a customer. I think that's running at seven percent. Uh, we if it's if it's a physical product yeah. we ship directly to customer, you the publisher gets seventy percent. Yes, if it's an electronic co cop thing sold directly to the customer, it's eighty percent. Right. right, which is a really good option because part of the okay yes so. Uh, Call it 90% for direct sale, 75% for convention sale, 70% for um, customer uh, purchase from IPR. Uh, I think the next down in the chain would be, uh, I sell this directly to Jim for 50%. And Jim sells it at a store, it's great. Uh, right beneath that is I sell uh, to um, IPR. May I comment? Yes. There's one more. Do you, can everybody hear me without this thing? They really bother me. I've got a loud voice. So I'll just set this over here. Um, there's another, I know where you're going. Yeah. There's one more step between if you sell through um, Amazon Advantage, you'll have to cover your own shipping to the various Amazon warehouses. Though they'll email you and make requests. That comes in at 45% of cover. Right, and I was right. Are you, right. Oh, wait, are you technically forty-four? We're forty-four. Yes, you're one one percent uh, below. <laughs> right, so I was conflating forty-four. So, yeah, see, and 45%. I'm gay. I'm gamery a little right, OCD. Right. It's like, wait, there's one more that's a percentage. Point. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. I'm still a little confused. So you're saying sells a gym? I don't really know what that means. Uh, uh, Jim is a Jim is a retailer. Yes. So selling to a retail store. store. Like you walk. And then you said sell to Amazon. Yeah. Uh, apologies for the acronyms we are using here. Um, IPR is Indie Press Revolution. Uh, it is a um, distributor fulfillment. We're a distributor. We're, we're, we're a online retailer. We're a convention presence. We're an advice bureau. We're a promoter, and we're also a distributor. Yes, and we're not the only distributor. We, yeah, there's yeah. others as well. So yeah, I don't do so. yeah, yeah, yeah. It would it wouldn't be us, but we, I can advise you if you wish on other distributors. If so, if, yeah. if you've got a board game or a card game, you can pretty much write in ACD, PhD, Alliance, 
for you know the can, well, can uh, that's coming up yeah about. that's oh, coming up yeah, because we're still we're at still at 44 percent yes. yeah yeah so just just to clarify i imagine the like uh uh 70 to 80 percent you're talking about would be specific to role-playing games and not to for in our particular model, though there may be somebody like me out there doing exactly what I'm about to describe, I just don't know who they are. Okay. Um, if I, I run a website, it's pretty busy, it sells direct to customer. Uh, if somebody comes to the website and buys your game physically, right. I take 30% of that transaction. I, I build them shipping and everything. I take 30%, I send you 70% at the end of the quarter. Okay. So. And, and you're, are you shipping the product? Then? I am shipping the product, okay. yeah. And warehousing the product. And warehousing it. Um, so, all right, so uh, I'm selling direct to Jim and his store. He is selling, followed by Amazon, followed by selling to IPR, who hey. is then selling to Jim. Right, that would be, consider me in this instance, a, a, in the percentage scale, a top-end distributor, meaning I pay a bit more than most other distributors because I'm a specialist. I do kind of distribute one thing. So. And, and we pay a little bit more to get stuff from Jason. Yeah. I pass that along then, like everything. Then, then I would tolerate getting from Alliance or or ACD. So, but but because it's but that means then there's a bunch of product in my store that isn't in anybody else's stores. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, after that is you have a deal with one of the big distributors, in which case uh, you're getting forty percent uh, because the distributor is getting ten percent. And fifty uh, percent is going is still Jim. Um, well, yeah. and there's a good reason for that. It, yeah, roughly. Yeah, there's there's and remember you still have to ship your things to them. Yeah. So factor that in. There's there's other yeah fiddly and, percentage points here and there. And uh, we'll definitely talk about why that fifty percent is a thing that it has to exist yeah. <laughs> very shortly. It, it, it would be nice if it was always fifty percent. Uh yeah. Um and then here's the thing where that's a challenge. Uh, it will sometimes take you multiple years to get approved with one of the distributors if they will approve you. And if you're a small fry who has one product, it's a lot of work to set up an account. The other thing that I think is very important to talk about in terms of those 40%, 50%, 70% is how often you get paid and how, how likely it is that um, depending on who you're dealing with, they're going to pay you right away, or or let it slide because you you have no leverage with them. We, we'll set aside a block yeah. for alliance. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah. Do, we'll do an alliance horror story segment. Yes. Oh, yeah. right. We'll set that aside. Um, so. so sometimes you will work through a third party consolidator so that you can sell to one of those big distributors, and they will collect all uh, a wide variety of smaller fry have one account and do that uh, administrative paperwork along with uh, soliciting and sell sheets and whatnot with ACD and they'll take an additional cut. Uh, so you're down to about 28%. Uh, in a extremely generous consolidator deal where we're cutting our own throat, uh, we are now at 36%. Wow, you could get that good from a consolidator? Uh, yes, because I'm the consolidator. Oh, you're a consolidator. Yeah. Uh, for the IGDN. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So okay. that's very generous. That's very generous. You guys are like a co-op. Yes, we're a co-op. Yeah. Um, most of the other ones, yeah, we're talking... 28%. 28%. 28, 30%. About 30%. Yeah, 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 give or take. Now, 
I would like to note something. If your manufacturing cost is, say, 50% of the sale price of your product, you are only selling direct or maybe at conventions. Uh, well, there are other options now. I'll, I'll, I'll touch oh, okay. on that. I'll touch on that. Um, if your sale, if your uh, modifier, like multiplier on manufacturing cost is uh, four times, so it, um, for a twenty dollar product, it costs you five dollars to make the product. That means that a number of these options are reasonable, but maybe not the traditional distribution because that doesn't. Ideally, you'd want to be able to uh, make um, have one sale be enough to replace the product twice, so that uh, to actually show a reasonable amount of profit to be able to move things forward. So, at four times, it's probably not generous enough for one of the uh, steeper d discount options. At five, six, seven, eight, ten times, okay, suddenly by volume, bulk, that, that becomes reasonable. Yeah, yeah. I, if, if I may? Yes. So um, here's where crowdfunding or some very Kickstarter or some variation, oh, sorry. Sorry, I just wanted to, can you, sorry, just say again what you were saying about the twice the unit price? Okay, so $20 widget. Right. At two times, um, it is costing you $10 to make a $20 widget. At four times, it's costing you five. Right. At ten times, it's costing you two dollars. Two dollars. Yeah. When you sell that widget, uh, let's just run down that chain. When you sell that widget uh, uh, directly, you're making eighteen dollars. Convention, you're making fifteen dollars. Uh, uh, gym, you're making ten dollars. Um, that's uh, what eight dollars eighty cents selling to IPR. If I sell to a retailer, uh, yes. If you sell to a retailer, uh, if you sell into a distributor, you're making eight dollars. And if you sell to a consolidator, and if you sell to a consolidator, a normal, yeah, yeah, you're making six dollars. You really want to make sure that you're not using a consolidator if your manufacturing costs are higher than six dollars, because then you're losing money on every copy. Uh, ideally, uh, that, that's a good rule of thumb. Okay. How little should you expect from like a big store, like let's say something like Toys R Us or Target? That's a whole other. That, if you're asking the question, you're not ready for it yet. Okay. No, well, I, I actually have <laughs> an answer. But yeah, I, I actually have an have an answer. There are some consult. They won't ever talk to you okay. directly. They probably won't even talk to somebody as huge as Alliance slash Diamond Comics. They might, I don't know, but I don't think they will. Who you really want to look at is a huge consolidator like PSI. The, that, matter of fact, that's the only one I can think of. Uh, and I don't speak for Alliance here. Maybe Alliance sells to big box stores and stuff. I, I, I don't know, I can't speak for them. But PSI definitely does. So there are some specialized consolidators that you can go to that will talk you through it. And if they think they can get you there, they'll discuss the math. That's the only one I, I've ever interacted with personally. But you got to start with having Catan or Munchkin 
or Machi yeah, exactly. yeah. you know, yeah. Well, actually, there, there's there's a whole active discussion going on sort of here about how do I get into Target? I participated in one of these and making the leap from literally being a tiny press to that. So yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's hard, very, it's very hard. Right. Yeah. You, 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 you. Basically, you are incredibly lucky. You happen to have something that blows up. And, I know, the, the you know, hard thing is you have to also have enough capital to print all of it before you even... Which I'll touch on. Yeah. It, it, Jim's deep existential sigh, I said, yeah. is very <laughs> justified. Yeah. But it very, very, very hard is not impossible, is all I'm saying. So uh, crowdfunding. You're, you're, oh, sorry. You're, you're a lot more likely to do that if you, if, if you get a design published by Hasbro um, than, 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 than DIYing your way, you know into, uh, uh, you know, GameStop. What, what kind of percentage would you expect when you get to that kind of mass distribution? Because I imagine it would be smaller based on higher units. You should, get, uh, you should get down to below. Your production cost should be down, including shipping. Never. I, this is a little thing I harp on with publishers. Never forget shipping. Uh, you should get down to well below 10% if you want to sell. Because Walmart's going to want, they're going to talk to you about tens of thousands of units of things. And they're going to want to pay consolidator rates. Yeah, you're, you know, you, you need to get costs way down. Um, yeah, so you expect that you're in royalty range for that. So like single digit percent. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and it's probably like, let's say, this is total ballpark. Let's say it's 10% if you have a deal with Target. You're more likely to have a deal with Hasbro, you get 5%. And let Hasbro deal with the logistics, the logistics associated with that nightmare, because no one wants to deal with those logistics. Leave it to them. Of course, you know, ten, ten, like five percent of thirty thousand or forty thousand units of something. Isn't that, yeah, like, like, like I like that dollar value. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, but do you want to deal with the transatlantic, uh, trans-Pacific shipping? For that many units I'm, I'm, to all the consolidation yeah, I'm, 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 that's I, old. I, I mean, I think the bottom line is that that's way beyond the scope of what we're really talking about here. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, that, aspire, that is though, aspire, my friend. Yes. So, uh, crowdfunding. Yes. So, uh, yes. So, crowdfunding is pretty much magic. It is. There's a lot of work to make that magic happen. But the reason why crowdfunding is amazing uh, is, uh, I want to say threefold. One, basic marketing. We have other panels that discuss that. Two, uh, you raise capital that allows you to produce the thing at um, reasonable quantities and have pre-sold some of that amount. Three, if you have enough, you can use that capital to get real economies of scale. Yeah. So here's an example of a product. Uh, I have a book that I um, crowdfunded. If I was selling uh, the book um, and I was trying to do a print-on-demand option, I want to make a single widget, a single unit of this book. My manufacturing costs on something with my specs, uh, a less attractive version of my product, would be around $30 a unit. Uh, for a full color, hardcover, above 200 pages, yada yada. Um, because I crowdfunded and raised enough money, 
I was able to afford an offset print run of 1,000 units in Taiwan. My per unit costs are $7. It has a foil cover. It's like really like, beautiful. It, 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 it pretty much won shiniest book of the booth at Gen Con. It has, its pages are like rainbow colored by chapter on the outside. It's like very nice. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that means that I'm able to reasonably um, sell at somewhere between 30 and $40 depending on how aggressive uh, you want me to make uh, the choices. So I, I was selling at $40 and it works, which means that I've, based on the multiplier, I've got a, you know, a bit over five times. That's solid. Um, and that is profitable. And that is enough that I am capable of, go, of doing everything down the chain uh, up to the point of my very generous consolidator at 36% and not lose my shirt. Now, I'm still wanting to maximize my direct sales first, then maximize my uh, convention sales, then maximize my direct sales through IPR, then maximize my direct sales through gym. In that order of precedence, those are my hierarch hierarchical preferences. Um, but I will, assuming that I effectively use up all the appetite in all of those higher levels, I'm totally fine dumping the remaining 200 books into the lowest profit margin option and getting that money. That, that's quite good. Do you mind if I riff off that? Yes, yeah. Go that, that's the beauty of crowdfunding, is what crowdfunding does ideally. And, and I've, I've run and dealt with some exceptions where there was actually capital left over, where you could go, wow, we actually made some money on this that we could spend on useful things. But that's rare. What you should usually look to do with crowdfunding is make enough money to make way more than you need to ship to the backers and ship to the backers, get that all wrapped up, and then you have hundreds of units. It's not usually going to be thousands, but it could be thousands. X number of units you can then put into the system, sell, and they're paid for. You didn't have to take out a loan. You didn't have to borrow money. You didn't have to empty your savings. The fans paid for it. And then all the money you make is on the back end. And then you can take risks. You can go, well, yeah, I really don't want to go to a consolidator and get 28%. But oh well, it's 28% of money that's already spent and paid for, and not by me. So then the economy is a scale. Okay, I don't really want Jason to sell my book uh, uh, to Jim for 44% of cover, but it's 44%, it, it, I paid, it's paid for, the fans paid for it. And as a good example, you know that $7 per unit? The real secret is my crowdfunding paid for all that printing. My actual manufacturing cost, zero at this point. Yeah. So every, I can sell it for a coffee and I've made a profit because I've already gotten paid for the manufacturing cost. So this radically alters the whole, the whole paradigm, really, because you go back 10, 15 years ago, and I was, I was part of this, you have to have the capital to take the risk. And unit per unit costs mattered a lot because if you miscalculated and you made a book, because you had to spend your own money, you made a book that people didn't really want, it's catastrophic, the effects. Now it's not. Worst thing that happens is you send it off to a consolidator or a distributor. They take your X number of hundreds or thousands of units of the game. It doesn't sell that well. And within a year or two, whatever their period is, they say, hey, we really don't want to carry this anymore. It, it hasn't sold more than a very small number of units. Could you take it back? Should we give it to charity? Should we recycle it? 
And at that point, e even then, your product can still sometimes have a tail if it's, say, something that can be run print-on-demand through one bookshelf, which is a generic term covering a bunch of companies that are drive-through RPG, Wargame Vault, uh, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. You can still have it there and still have it being sold to people, and you don't even have any stock. So, like, as an, yeah, we'll, we'll totally jump to that. Well, uh, I was going to get yeah, to yeah. that later. Uh, as an example, just saying, even the end isn't the end. Uh, Annalise is an amazing role playing game by Nathan Paletta. He just sold through his remaining stock of his last print run, and he just uploaded it on Drive Through Print on Demand. So his long tail will last until Drive Through RPG closes. I, I have one copy left at the booth. I'm out. Buy that copy. Yeah, I'm out. I'm out in the warehouse. Get it if get it if you can. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so I've successfully kickstarted two books, one at 44000 and one at like 28000 Wow, that's excellent. Yeah, that was great. Um, and we've been able to manage our, our costs by doing it exclusively POD. Um, but we've at the point where our POD sales for both digital and physical are uh, 1000 plus um, on top of the original thing. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, but uh, we're now at the point where POD takes so much of our margin that... Uh, this drive-through takes a thirty percent cut, um, just right off the top, and the quality is, you know, it varies wildly. Exactly. I, I um, yeah. So we're at a point where we're trying to figure out, you know, consolidator, distributor, you know, what. So for for the IPR side, what kind of continuous sales would you expect if you were in a position to say, like, hey, we are making a print run, we're doing it on our own dime, um, we have X number of continuing sales over past six quarters, um, what, are, what would the number be in general that you're looking for to pick up a problem? I, I, we, we'd really have to talk privately. Sure. I'd have to know a lot more about the books. Yeah. Um, uh, there is no, there are people who contact me with products. Uh, and again, I, I exist, uh, Indie Press Revolution, which is way more than me. Five people work there, it's not just me. Uh, Indie Press Revolution exists as a business incubator. If we're really successful, you outgrow us. If we do a really great job, Alliance offers you flooring and you leave, and we're, we're, we're loading trucks full of your books, basically. It happens. Um, I have asked for as little as 30 units of something, and I've asked for as many as two to 3,000 units of something. So it's a really wide range that I think I can sell. Um, I have a pretty good feel for it, because I've been doing it for years, but sometimes I'm just completely wrong and I'm, I'm blown away. I asked for a very small number of something, and it just goes out the door in a week. <laughs> and then and I send him an email saying, I want 50 of that. And yeah. he says, well, I only have 30. Yeah, so, uh, it, it happens. So how's Blades in the Dark going? Yeah. How, how many of those well, Okay, <laughs> so Blade, Blades in the Dark has been selling okay through us, but Blades in the Dark is in what I call general distribution. Yeah. Meaning yeah. we're just some things. You can order it from anybody. You can order it from Alliance or ACD, and they offer better terms than we do. But there are many products that we and we alone have. So it really, but we don't have exclusivity terms. We encourage you to sell your books however you can sell your books. <laughs> um, but we could talk afterward sure. about it. Okay. Uh, just a question, not necessarily on topic, but talking about Kickstarter and units. Um, you know, when you have a successful Kickstarter, how do you gauge how many additional units you should have made based on your success of, on Kickstarter? That sort of, like, there is there is no there is no rule. There is no single like calculation you can make. Um, you want to take those space. 
Okay, so can you physically hold that many units in space that you have available to you is a very hard limit. So Especially with like board games that can be huge. And it, and it depends on what you're doing, right? I mean, if you, if you bump it from 10,000 to 15,000 and that means you like your unit cost goes down by a buck and a half, is that worth doing? It depends, you know, on, it depends that's like, on... That's all... It's Yeah, but what, what Jason's saying is, is, okay, let's say you do that. Let's say you're like, ah, it, my unit cost is X at 5000 If I do 20000 man, I'm paying a dollar to get this, let's say, board game, man. I'm paying $2. It's nothing. If you've got a where, garage, that's where, great. Where do you put it? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so if you send it... To, if you, I don't do board games, but if hypothetically a distributor or a consolidator you say, hey, I've got this great game. I need you to store it all for me and sell it. They've got costs, right? They got to pay for insurance. They have staff. They have. Uh, they pay usually. I'm. I'm an unusual exception because I own my warehouses. Um, most people have to rent their warehouses. So after a certain time, if sales drop off, they're going to come back to you and say, "Hey, could could you take this back?" Right. So it's it's a tricky, tricky thing. Well, um, so I guess like in connection with that, I mean, you could print less units from Kickstarter and make profit from Kickstarter. Or you could spend all of your Kickstarter money making units and hope that you sell all of them. Like, how do you sort of gauge? I would, I would always do the latter. Okay. Personally, that's my theory of it. Every once in a while, I've run into a, a, just a circumstance where I realized we'd gone so far over what we needed to print that there was some profit. Right. But it's happened once. The, I mean, so the, the, the question is, do you want your work to have a lifespan? Right. Do you want it to be a one shot that's done and done and gone? Now, there may be some projects, which that's exactly what you want. You're like, okay, the, the, the 800 people that want this are all going to kickstart it because it's some super esoteric subject matter or, you know, whatever. It's a, it's a $300 miniatures, historical miniatures game or something like that. But if you want it to have a life cycle, that's, that's the best, easiest way to give it a life cycle rather than, like, if you, if you spend all that Kickstarter money on the Kickstarter you're right back at square one other than I mean like your game is kind of out there in the world and people are playing it but but the economics behind getting it out into the rest of the world is no, is no different than if you had never done that Kickstarter in the first place and, and I'd like to I'd like to throw it with Jason's project these are I'd like go look at his oh, yeah. book it's beautiful it's called SIG it's, it's over there in the booth he basically printed money because those books cost him personally nothing uh, well, a whole lot of time and labor. Oh, yeah. I don't pay myself. Yeah, yeah. So when I say nothing, you know, you're actually the only currency any of us t have in this world is time, right? So I'm, I'm not downplaying that. I'm just saying just pure dollars and cents. Everyone he sells, he, he gets or your company yep. gets essentially 100%. Right. Because you, had, you did not take out a loan to get it done or anything like that. So... But, you know, you'd have to consult on your project. And it's, it's a weird art, which I practice on a curve, usually successfully, but sometimes not, of looking at a funded Kickstarter project and saying, I wonder if this will, ha should we stock it? I wonder if it will have any life. I wonder if more than these 200 people really care. So it's a bit of so, a projection to figure out yeah. Your, yeah. how much more bubble there is beyond Kickstarter and figuring out whether you should or whether you should say I'll print I'll do a print on demand lower quality digital printing run of like I owe 100 copies I'll do 300 and I'll keep the rest for myself because hey you know I want to pay myself 
or I'm going to do an after after offset run of, of 500 on the smaller Kickstarters? It's a hard question. I had to ask myself that one with a project of my own recently. So, um, here's an anecdote. So I have a um, you know mediocre middle tier quality product. Um, I kickstarted it. I printed 1,100 copies, uh, thousand plus all the 10% overrun because they want their money. Yeah. Um, and we should, we should explain that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Printers uh, will always overprint, and when they're doing an offset print run, will always overprint so that if there's errors, they can fill it in and at least meet their, meet their minimums. Um, but if they print more, they'll just add them to the load and you get more copies than you actually asked for originally. Uh, uh, they'll charge you. It's called overages, <laughs> um, overruns. Um, but you'll usually get a discount on those extra ones. Yeah. Um, so I got 1,100 copies. My Kickstarter claimed about 300 of those. The, the ability to do an offset print run there was one of those hard choices because that around 300 of 1,100. Can, am I going to be holding on to 800 copies in my basement forever? What I've found since then is I was able to fairly easily sell, so I, I effectively sold, pre-sold a third of them with Kickstarter. I think pretty easily sell the next third. And I'm currently trying to push out the last um, 200 so some odd copies out of my inventory. And that's pushing a rope. May I make a suggestion? Yes. When a product, when your product reaches the end of its life, Right, and you realize that the sale of this—I'm going to say book because it's what I know most about this. This book has dropped from man. You were selling through whatever your various sales channels are. You were selling a hundred a month. Wow! And now you're selling like two. It's reached the end of its life. It's a collector's item now. Don't be afraid to give the rest away. You got a few hundred left. Figure out a way to give them away. It's advertising. Move, you're already well moved on to your next two or three projects. Go. I got a lot of extra copies. I'm going to work at a convention. You know what? I'll give them away. As an example, right now at Jim's booth, please visit it and give him money. You can buy a copy of the Spark role-playing game. All proceeds are going to Engineers Without Borders. It's 20 bucks. So if you want to give 20 bucks to charity and get a game and support local people, yeah, you can do the charity route too. Yeah, absolutely. This is me turning those remaining 200 copies into marketing, into supporting a charity, which is a good thing, and hidden secret. Because I'm donating money to charity, it's good for my taxes. And it lets me recoup some of the additional tax things associated with disposing of my inventory, and I don't get taxed on it, and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of things that you can do at the end run of a line. I'd like for a minute to hand things over to, to, to Jim, and I want to touch on a topic that is near and dear to Jim's heart, and frankly mine, which is, you might be thinking, looking at all this, and, and, and thinking, why do I even need retailers? What's the good of a brick-and-mortar retailer for me as a game publisher? Why, why should I care? And I can give you reasons, but let's let, let's let Jim go with this. Uh, um, the, the retailers are the, the life cycle beyond the Kickstarter. It's where people see your game out in the world when you are not personally at a convention, when you are not personally 
uh, you know, on the internet, talking to somebody about it. Um, stores are where your games get played out in public, where somebody can walk in and, and see it being played and say, what's that? Um, uh, you know, as with anything else in life, maybe not everything else in life, but, uh, you know, the amount of the amount of revenue that you generate from any individual copy of your game is going to be directly proportional to the amount of work you are putting into selling it. And so when you get a, um, uh, uh, the job that the channel does, that the distributors like Alliance and PhD and ACD do, that then, you know, gets kind of distributed down to stores, is um, uh, we're the folks that, that put your game out into the world, that show it to people, um, uh, that, that give it a life cycle beyond, like I say, just, just the Kickstarter. May I, may I yeah, add Yeah, go something? ahead, please. Yeah. So, as human beings, we are communal animals. We like being around, well, most of us, like being around each other at least some of the time and doing things together. Tabletop games are a collective thing we get together physically in most cases with people and do together. And, and this is why tabletop games have had a resurgence lately in many respects because there was this block of time for 10 or 15 years where we could get some of the things we like to get from games without the problems of physically being in the same place with anyone else over the internet. And, and this still remains you know, a perfectly business, a viable business model without involving retail directly for video games through things like Steam and things like that. But there's something about us as, as living beings that makes us want to go have experiences with one another. And for a lot of people, the retail store is where that's going to happen. A lot of retail stores have started changing themselves at least anywhere from, from 25 to, I've seen one store in, in Sparks, Nevada, near where I live, that was 75% place-based. 75%. And it was completely set up so that children could be in there, so that, so that parents could drop their children off there with, like, staff that you wouldn't mind leaving your children around, which is, you know, always an accomplishment. Um, this is a place where these th people interact physically and play these games. And that's not something that can be easily replicated anywhere else. So retail remains important because it is, in many cases, where people you will never meet get together with other people you never meet and have the experience of your game together. And, and it also creates those economies of scale that let you print 5,000 copies of something, that let you print 10,000 copies of something that, that otherwise would just, you know, if you think of every copy you sell into retail as, well, uh, you know, this paid for uh, this paid so that uh, for me to have wooden tokens instead of plastic tokens. That's um, you know if, if if all we're doing is that, then hopefully that's helpful. And uh, there's a couple other things here. Uh, one, you know how I said that uh, second third went pretty quickly. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, you're welcome. Also, I only sold about half of that third though. So okay. Yeah. Um and. How likely is it going to be that a new gamer who uh, will randomly decide to purchase my game as a small independent creator, if they happen to be in Merrimack, New York, and walk into Modern Myths, my odds go dramatically up. Yeah. 
Well, and, and the, other thing, uh, the other thing that retailers provide, and in particular, explicitly the model that we have at Modern Myths and that some other folks have, like Foam Brain Games, um, which is um, uh, I do a dozen shows a year. So I sell far more of Jason's games um, uh, at the cons we go to than I do just in the, in the store when people come into the store. You know, the, the, the 8, 10, 12 people I know who are going to be into an RPG like Jason's, I'll hand sell it to them and I'll make sure I put it in their hands. But um, Jason can't go to every con. You guys can't go to every con that you would love to have your stuff at. Um, but um, uh, my store, being at PAX East, is how IPR's books get sold at PAX East. And so selling into retail can mean you just have a good relationship with half a dozen or a dozen retailers who you know who are well suited for whatever it is you're doing whether it's a role-playing game a board game like i don't go to bg like in two weeks i'm going to be at unplugged so a publisher that does board games maybe doesn't care about having a relationship with me but they want to talk to someone who's going to be at bgg con instead of uh you know at at at, uh, at pax unplugged uh or you know, alternately, you're going to be at BGG Con, but you want to have your stuff at PAX Unplugged, so a relationship with someone who will do that for you, um, you know, allows you to extend your reach. And if I may, one more. Oh, yeah. How do we make new gamers? How are they made for tabletop games? They're not really made online. Uh, it's a toxic environment if you're, you say you're some kid, right? And, and you, you want to learn about playing collectible card games like with people you go online and what kind of community is that probably pretty not pleasant but you go into a retail store and there's somebody who you can talk to that wants to talk to you about it and is nice to you you have a friend hopefully well okay not every store most of of those stores are out of business now ideally that's a that's a thing where it's yeah yeah well i'm not promising 100 percent, but in most the market works there in most cases we have some questions in the back which i take sir so you're you're talking about promoting or representing you know uh, somebody's product at the convention uh, is there a extra financial arrangement between you to for that or is it just mutually beneficial mutually beneficial uh, except under extremely limited circumstances where somebody somebody wants something i'm not speaking for jim but i think it's the same with jim unless it's like there can be instances where you might want something that will require above and beyond work from us that we might charge you for but with our standard model, we never charge anyone anything from take, taking things to a convention or a trade show. Though, how do I convince you to promote? Because well, you, you only got so much table space and right, so much car right. space, right? We operate on a criteria, again, I speak for myself, not Jim, of four things when we do a convention. How new is it? How light is it? How well has it sold? Um, and sort of a nebulous X factor of do I think it will sell to this particular place at these particular people that I know go to this particular convention. So we do reserve the right to not bring your stuff if it doesn't meet this criteria. But usually if you get me like a brand new thing, it's gonna, and it's not, well, even now I have, I now have a six pound role-playing game book that I'm going to be selling. I will actually take it to a bunch of conventions over the Red markets? Yeah, 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 red markets. Well, you, wanted, you wanted something beside Hero. Like, no. you, you needed some... Look, we've been shrinking Hero books. <laughs> They're getting smaller <laughs> just in time for the market trend to reverse and everything to get larger again. Yeah. Oh. So, I, uh, to, to, to some extent, the, the amount of effort that retailers are going to... Re- well, that anybody 
that, that any of your partners are going to put into selling, into kind of going out of their way to emphasize your product, whatever that is, is going to depend on your relationship with them. Also, I and we'll move on to this, this gentleman real quick. Uh, at a lot of these major conventions, the best thing you can do with your time, and I mean this sincerely, is to go there and play your game with people. This may be you somehow paying to get involved in active play. Maybe you don't have to pay. Maybe you join a group like Games on Demand where you're also helping show other games off as well as your own. However it is, your time as a designer and a publisher at most conventions most of the time is better spent playing your game with people, not sitting in a booth. Uh, I will completely confirm this. Uh, so you know how in my booth I don't have to work it because I bought into a booth chair? In conventions where I don't have a booth chair, I try to work with people like Jim uh, because that way they can sit beside the, behind a booth, explain what my product is, and take money for it, and I can be running demos. Uh, for people in the board game realm, I strongly recommend that you check out the Envoy program uh, by Double Exposure because they do some fantastic work, particularly in the board game space, to do this kind of promotion. Uh, at a wide variety of conventions um, with um, and stores and, and they're working with hundreds of stores at this point as well yeah. uh, gamers are also sentimental so if I go to a convention I'm having a great time Woo, I'm in Indianapolis yeah. you know great and I go and I, I dedicate some of my time to playing a game sometimes I want to go buy that game immediately not only because I liked it but because it will help me kind of remind me of this great time I had. So the, you play it with people, they're like, hey, I played it with the creator. Man, maybe I can find her or him and have them sign it while I'm here at the show. I mean, people are sentimental. It's a good time to strike while the iron's hot by playing it with people. So, yeah, yes. anybody? Oh, uh, the Envoy program. Uh, there's a bunch of people who, pretty much anyone on staff, if you talk to them with the green badge, they'll be able to point you in the right direction. I think there was another question. No, just showing up the pens that are like uh, everywhere. Yes, yes. Actually, uh, to, yeah. to, to your left. You, were, you had another yeah, question? Yeah, I, sorry, it wasn't a question. It was just to go back to the, the game store yeah. topic. Um, so I, my day job is I work at a game store whose primary means of cash flow is an after-school program playing games with children. I run their role-playing game program. Great. And I will say for anyone uh, interested, A, number one, the biggest predictor of sales of any game other than D&D is just, did we play it? If we did, if we play with 40 different kids, we can expect to sell 200 units within a month because they'll tell all their friends about it at school and they'll all come to the store. Great. Um, yeah. And it doesn't matter. When we played Dread with seven year So you're, so you're saying the lesson is corrupt the children. Yeah. Oh, corrupt the children. In, in Dred's case, that might be very literal. Yeah. <laughs> Was there an, I think I saw another question. Yeah. That's something that's probably gets asked all the time, but do you think print-on-demand or um, uh, drive-to-RPG is detrimental to what you are trying to uh, do a Kickstarter? In, in what way? That you're stealing from your own potential sales? No. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's a good. I don't think it's productive to to, to, to think that way. There's there's way too much of and traditionally, not so much recently. And you you are certainly by being here uh, amongst the the enlightened on this. There's way too much thinking within tabletop gaming, in my opinion, 
about if I do this, I'm taking from that, or if I, if I do this, I'm stealing from that. It's an organic whole. So then what's to incentivize someone to buy from, to, kick, to back a Kickstarter rather than... Right. Yeah. Well, are, uh, maybe you should, maybe, maybe I don't understand entirely. Could you, could you clarify a little? Is it a bad idea to put your game on uh, Game Crafter while you're still trying to raise uh, uh, Kickstarter? Yes, that is a bad yes. idea. Do not, uh, so what you want to do, the optimal case is run your Kickstarter with your high quality product, get the buzz, then as soon as you've made your backers happy, then sell it to the general public. If you do it the other way around, you're cannibalizing your own sales and it's just a nightmare. Uh, you're also making your fans hate you because your fans want to feel special and, and, and crowdfunding is a way of making them feel special. They're first in line, they supported you, you need to you know, reciprocate with that. Then afterwards, go ahead and investigate other sales avenues. Yeah. I'm just wondering if Jim has a contrary opinion from the local space while you were talking. What? About, about selling to retail after a Kickstarter, or about are you cannibalizing retail sales from doing a Kickstarter? Oh, I mean, so, uh, it, yeah, thanks, Andy. Um, it kind of doesn't matter. Um, the, so, uh, the, the one thing that I would ask is that, uh, just, just don't, um, don't break your promises and don't use, um, uh, why would anyone want to buy it in a store as a marketing pitch to people? Cause, cause, cause that happens. Like, 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 um, uh, ultimately for every sale that we lose, to, whatever, we lose to a Kickstarter because somebody bought it direct when they otherwise would have bought it in the store if Kickstarter didn't exist, we get far, far higher quality products. And if people are doing it right, the Kickstarter gives it a tail so that we can then get them in the world afterwards. Can, um, yeah. can, I, can, I, can I make please a supplementary yes, compliment? Yeah, how many of these products that have come out, many of which have been very successful through retail and distribution, would have ever happened without crowdfunding? 10% of them? 5% of them? Well, and they, or they would have been, or, you know, they would have been like... A many of black, them. They would have been like black and white, you know, like, 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 like POD looking things if, instead of if big gorgeous, like, you know, matte black hardcovers and stuff like that. So, so I, I, I think that I, I've, I have found a huge boost in what not only what comes in, the quality of what comes in, and how much we've sold through IPR because of crowdfunding, not in, not in spite of it. And, you know, to the retailers are having trouble not because of Kickstarter. Uh, sorry, the, the Kickstarter is just, is just a change to the marketplace. It's not the end of the marketplace. The retailers that adapt to it will do well. You know, fifteen dollars an hour minimum wage is a way bigger threat to me than anybody's Kickstarter. So, um, and uh, just before we close, can you explain where uh, that uh, retailer cut goes? Why retailers are receive this discount for very good reasons? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Like when people ask us what the deal is, sometimes when I say our standard deal is is fifty fifty in the retail business, we call that keystoning. We wanted we want to double whatever we pay for it. Um, in a typical small business specialty retail shop of the kind that I run, my net profit after all of my expenses is, if, if it's a really healthy store and doing very well, in the 5 to 10% range. So, um, 
everything I bring in the door, um, half of it I'm, I'm paying right back to you. So that leaves me, so let's say a $10, a $10 book, right? Um, cost me $5 just to bring it in the door. Uh, if I'm getting it through distribution, they give me 30 days to pay for it. The single most valuable thing that d distribution does is access financing for retail stores. Um, it's great that I can that I can order it all in one place, all this kind of stuff and everything. One of the other reasons that I'm willing to pay Jason five percent more than I pay. Yeah, we don't Alliance do that actually. To be to be transparent, is yeah. is that 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 that. Um, uh, he lets me uh, have that stuff for sale, and some of it, it if it doesn't sell, I can, I can give it back to him. Um, as long as I keep it in pristine shape, like new, all that kind of stuff and everything. I hasten to those of you that say that those of you are retailers, that's a very special relationship. Yes, yeah. No, that's, so, that's and, and an and, awesome one. And, yeah. and, and well, but, but that's the kind of thing that you get after years of building up those relationships yeah. that I talked about, of demonstrating that you're trustworthy of, of, of all of that. So, um, uh, but um, the so uh, uh, in the store, the actual brick and mortar store, I've got a floor. So I've got fifty fit that ten dollar book. I pay fifty cents for it. If my rent, it, depending on where I am in the country, and I'm in Westchester, just north of New York City, which is the most commercial expensive commercial real estate real estate market in the country, like 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 San Francisco ish in terms of what it costs to rent a storefront and people will laugh at you when you say to them that you have an independent business because if you're not a Starbucks or a phone store or a you know or a, a, a Chipotle they don't want you they don't want to rent to you um, so tw you know tw two and a half three dollars of that goes into rent and then another you know buck and a half of it goes to staff um, uh, you know 50 cents of it goes to you know, 50 cents to a dollar of it goes to utilities and all the other costs and everything. And so when I sell your, your $10 book or, you, you know, your, your $10 little card game, I'm maybe making 50 cents on it in terms of profit. And so that, you know, so, so like I said, so, so an extra five points that I'm paying adjacent instead of Keystone, that's, that, that squeezes it. And so, so there, are other, there are other things that make up for that, but, but that's where all that money goes and that's why... You know, because it's it's a physical space, and there are there are costs associated with it that can't be negotiated away. All right, so I think we have to head out, and we had to head head out two minutes ago. So we will let you be, but thank you very much. Feel free to contact us if you have any more questions. Really quickly, um, we're open at the booth over till three o'clock, and if anybody had any individual questions for me, I'm going to go grab some quick lunch, but then I'll be back there from like one thirty to three or so. Give him all your money. That's not just really. Some of it trickles down to us. I had that we had another five minutes. Yeah.